0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today, and thank you for tuning in with us. We are looking into the Bible, the authoritative source of our theology. I would like to welcome the panel today, and thank you everyone for joining us via Zoom. I will start with uh, Ken, who's joining us for the first time uh, via Zoom. And uh, Ken, thank you for joining us. Great to be here, Nick. Great to be back on the team again. Now, I know that you move house and you, I think you are somewhere in the nice, beautiful country, somewhere around Gola, is it? Absolutely. All right. I think you you settled down there. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. And I will go to Helen now because she's uh, kind of your neighbour.
1: That is true. Thank you, Nick. It is a delight to be here. And it, I look, I just look so forward to this every week not only discussing with the panel, but knowing that the listeners and, and us, we're all learning as we go. So thank you.
0: Brenton, coming from Mount Gambier, thank you for uh, being with us today.
2: A pleasure to be here, Nick. Uh, it's a pleasure to be part of this panel, and I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will touch each of us as a panel and also our listeners as we r- recognise the importance of God's Word in our lives.
0: And also Harvey is with us today. Harvey, good to have you with us.
3: Yeah, thanks, Dick. Um, very important topic we're dealing with today too, and I'm looking forward to
0: it. Len, it's our facilitator. Len, thank you for uh, preparing this, and uh, yeah, welcome to the program from Ingle Farm, and you are neighbour with uh, Harvey, if I'm not wrong.
4: Yeah, well all fairly not really close neighbours, but we're good friends.
0: That's very good.
4: Hello, listeners. As was previously announced, This Bible study is a very important study because it deals with the source of our beliefs or our theology. And um, we're going to have a good look at that. And there are a number of things where different religious groups base their beliefs. One of those things is tradition. Others on experience and sometimes we could say feelings. Still others base their beliefs on their culture, others on reason. And then there are those who base their beliefs on the Bible. And I want to say unequivocally right now that we as a panel base our beliefs on what the Bible teaches and the Bible alone. Now, some groups have a combination of some of those things, for example, Bible and tradition or Bible and something else. But um, we base our beliefs on the Bible. This topic today might really challenge your thoughts and we hope you stay listening and we hope you look up the text that we're going to use to share what we want to share with you. But before we start, I'm going to ask Ken, if you wouldn't mind, please praying for us and the listeners. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as
5: we join together today through this wonderful medium of Zoom, we pray, Lord, for all our listeners. We pray, Heavenly Father, that they think very deeply of what they're going to hear today and not dismiss it off the top of their head because of their own beliefs or perhaps the beliefs of their church. We ask, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts, dig deep into the word of God, Check it out directly from the Bible and no other source, as this is the only source of life and hope in this world. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
4: Thank you, Ken. Well, the first thing we're going to deal with is tradition. Now, in Mark chapter 7, verses 5 to 8, we have a situation regarding Jesus and an accusation that was made against him.
2: Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrite, as it is written, This people honours me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines or as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. A little context here, Len, and listeners. In verse 1, we find that there's a deputation of Pharisees and other people who have come all the way from Jerusalem, specifically for the purpose of trying to terminate Christ's ministry. Christ frequently clashed with the leaders of the church where tradition overrode or was considered to be more sacred than the word of God. He actually answers the question in here by saying, for laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men. Now, just one further comment. This washing of hands and all the rest of it was not for the purpose of hygiene. It was ritual. Because you may have bought something in the marketplace that had been handled by a non-Jew or by a Gentile or by some other unclean person, and therefore the washing that you were undertaking was for the purpose of ritually cleansing yourself rather than hygiene. So here Jesus really lays the matter bare and says, you set aside the commandments of God to hold on to your tradition. And then as we go through this study today, we will find that this Business of tradition bobs up frequently.
4: And, of course, with some people, tradition is very, very important. Yes. In fact, it's even more important, as Jesus uh, announced to the Jews, than the commandments of God. That's important to them rather than actual importance. Well, there was another situation that bobbed up too where the Jewish leaders, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees again showed that tradition was more important than keeping the law, yes, Helen
1: yeah, can I just comment on on that first section that Brenton was doing? I believe that Jesus was really saying that they were hypocrites, yes. you know because they had the outward show, uh, I think it's like having that text that says about outward show, but denying the power thereof they they didn't have inwardly that um, relationship with Christ, and so it was all outward show.
4: Yes. Well, in the second situation which came up, what was the situation there?
3: Well, in Mark 7, verses 9 to 13, it says, And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honour thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free, and you shall suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered and many such things you do. And uh, Very definitely, this is a situation where they made rules that they thought would just bypass the scriptural um, rule or the rule that had been given to Moses. And so if they could bypass it, then it didn't count anymore. Jesus made it very clear that he condemned replacing scripture with tradition. Tradition is not acceptable as being opposed to scripture or different to scripture. If it's the same, fine, but if it's opposed or does something different to what scripture says, then that's to be condemned.
4: Thank you for that. Well, then, is tradition holiness? Leon, no, uh, tradition is definitely not holiness. There are many people today
5: that... They believe holiness is something perhaps like if they go to church once a week and uh, they sort of spend maybe an hour or so in the church, they think that's been holy. But as we know, many of the churches, they have so many traditions with really absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. And holiness comes back to being the uh, keeping the law of God on a daily basis and helping or loving
4: your fellow man on a daily basis. Sometimes it appears that the traditions are all very holy and very solemn and all that kind of thing. But in actual fact, tradition is not holiness. And Helen, can you name some worship traditions that you're aware of?
1: Well, yes, there are are traditions that, that people believe are good traditions and there is probably nothing wrong with them. For example, there are some people, even in reading scriptures, some people believe that you're not being worthy to God unless you stand up and you read the scriptures. Some people believe when you kneel, if you're not praying to God on your knees, then that's against um, God. There are other traditions too that have come in and it's it's interesting when you look at it. There, there are good traditions and bad traditions, but I agree with Ken that they are not holy per se. But if you have a tradition that actually shines a spotlight on God's Word and moves us to obedient service and helps our hearts to sing, I think that's a good tradition. Now, there are traditions in churches from olden days where you had your three hymns, Bible reading, sermon. There are some people today that that want more contemporary services. Does that mean that the tradition of three hymns, uh, Bible reading and sermon is wrong? not necessarily, providing that we don't get to the stage where we put traditions above God's word.
4: Yes, if if traditions are more important than God's word, then there's something wrong with them. Mm. If traditions lead one closer to God and close to his word, then it's fine.
2: Uh, Just a quick comment on tradition, Len. Tradition for many people gives them a sense of security. Now, That can be right and it can be wrong. As you said, it it should be based on the word of God. We need to remember that the tradition that the Jews were following was based around the Torah. Now, the Torah was the law that was given to them by Moses. And the traditions that they added to it were meant to protect it and illuminate it. Instead of that, it had the exact opposite effect. It turned them into legalists who believed that they were working all the good things that they were doing was commending them to God, when in actual fact it should have been leading them closer to God. Yes, yes, Ken.
4: Uh, Then I just
5: wanted to add that uh, many Christians that go to church today, they follow the traditions of the church, not knowing perhaps that uh, what's, what's been shown them or what's been told them is not correct because they don't read the Bible themselves so important to go back to the Word of God and actually check out what that says. Yes,
4: that's a good point. Yes,
5: Helen.
1: It bears in mind what I was just going to say too, and in agreement with Ken, that um, traditions are not a good basis for our belief. And, in fact, some traditions, when you you go back to somebody and say, why are you doing that, often the, the reason for it is forgotten. Whereas if we go to Scripture, we will always have a reason for our beliefs.
4: Yes. All right, well, we're going to move to another issue, another basis that affects people's beliefs, and that's experience, and I would like to say also to do with feelings. And um, what happens when one experiences God's love and forgiveness?
6: The person is transformed under God's love, Any person can be transformed and under uh, uh, God's words, the living words of the Bible.
4: Do you have a scripture to back that up?
6: Titus 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour.
4: So really what you're saying is here, as you experience God's love or as anybody experiences God's love, there will be a change, a change for the better within that person. Yes. Well, what happens when a person is experiencing God's love, what do they not do rather than what do they do? Helen.
1: Yeah, thank you. Just before we get on to that, Len, I'd just like to mention when when I had the new birth experience, for me it was just amazing. I, I moved from a life of sin to one where I was being led by God's spirit and the Lord says he gives us life more abundantly And I can testify to that in my own life. You know, all of our sins, not merely some of them, are washed away, you know. And, you know, we gain eternal life with all its treasures. We have a new life through the Holy Spirit, and it continues to renew our hearts. And I'm just blown away by it. It's all God's gift. But I, I believe there is such a change that it just revolutionizes our whole life, especially when we focused on our Lord.
4: Yes, thank you, Helen. You've kind of answered what I was going to ask next. Uh, what does a person who
0: has experienced God's love, what don't they do? On this one, it's experience can be also understood as a um, relationship, as a closer interaction with somebody. And in, in this case, we're talking about uh, to know God. If you know God and His goodness. What you are not going to do is to be ignorant. Yes, Leje?
6: I would like to talk now uh, a little bit in regard to the, about these two aspects of um, experience. When you experience the joy and forgiveness, a clear conscience and or acts of kindness and love, this positively impacts your relationship with God and with others around you. When you experience feelings of rejection, prejudice, uh, or hate, suspicion, or um, doubt, let's say envy, jealousy, this negatively impacts your relationship with God and all those around you. But in this situation, you have to cling to God. To go to the word, the living word of God, and strengthen your relationship with God.
0: Okay, thank you. Just to add on that, uh, Len, because I think Lija just touched on a couple of very good points there. In Christendom, in our experience with God, why do we see so much uh, jealousy, arrogancy, and all other things? Why do we see those things happening? Because there, that was mentioned uh, during Jesus' time those Pharisees and those people who are supposed to know the law of God and what the Bible says, and they show a different type of, um, of living. It's, it's a big question mark here. Why? Why Christians are uh, doing those things? Well, I'd have to say some Christians.
6: We have a text in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. And here it says that we ourselves, we are an open letter written on, on our hearts, known and read by everybody. So in whatever we do, as Paul says here, we are an open book for everybody. So my relationship with God is, is shown to the people by this open book, that it's myself.
4: So what you're really saying is here, depending on another person's experience with the Lord, Somebody else will be affected and they will accept or reject the Christianity of that particular person based on what they see with someone else. Yes, correct. Why is it important to test our religious experience with the Word of God?
5: Well, then I think this, this is very important because the example I use is this. You could have a beautiful Say a Ferrari car sitting out in your driveway and it looks fantastic and it's got the name, name badge on it, Ferrari and all that. But unless you actually drive it, you really don't know what it's like. And I think it's the same when it, when it comes to our belief in God. We have to experience our faith and work on our faith because there are many, many things that come to us all in our lifetime some are minor some are major and sometimes if we're hit with a major problem and if we have not experienced tested our faith in the past this major problem might be enough to wipe us off the board and and lose our faith in god altogether
4: Uh ah thank you ken harvey you wanted to say something here
3: experiences can be very deceiving biblically speaking Experience needs to have its proper sphere. It needs to be informed and shaped by Scripture and interpreted by Scripture. Sometimes we want to experience something that is out of harmony with God's word and will. Here we need to learn to trust the word of God, even over our experience and desires. We should be on guard to make sure that our, even our experience is always in harmony with the word of God and does not contradict the clear teaching of the Bible. I was going to make a comment as well previously when the question was asked. It says, when someone realises God's goodness, what do they not do? Well, they don't try to live the way they think it should be. They say it really should go back to the word of God and live according to the word of God. So you don't discard things that the Bible requires of you or you don't add to what the Bible requires of you, um, there are things you don't do.
4: With experiences, there are feelings. And I know when people feel really good, they sometimes think that their religious experience is going fine. And when they're having a few things going against them, they think that's quite negative, and we all go through these sort of things. But experiences and feelings, are they a good indicator of anybody's holiness?
5: then I, I don't believe they are because I'll give a few examples this, but one in particular comes to mind. We have some uh, lovely neighbours uh, where we used to live and uh, nicer people you wouldn't meet. But over the years, I have spoken to them many times about the Lord, and they have absolutely no interest whatsoever. So I couldn't say that these people were holy. They were good people, but I couldn't say they were holy. And also sometimes with Christians, as I was saying earlier on, sometimes we have what I call uh, one-day-a-week Christians where they go to church uh, on the Sunday, and they perhaps feel good for that, but then... When the Monday comes, they're back in the world and just living as normal people. So it's not really a good indicator at all of being holy and in tune with God.
4: So what would you say about um, experience as a basis to build one's beliefs, Helen?
1: Well, I think it's dangerous because our feelings change so often, number one. I believe, though, some of our experiences can help us with our beliefs I don't believe we should base our experiences on our belief, but when we believe something, quite often, especially as God leads, our experiences can add to that belief or increase our faith in that belief. Let me give an example of why I don't think that we should use that as a basis of our belief. A couple of people that I know, one of them had a, and well, both of them had an experience when someone was dying one of them with his wife, and um, at the time of her death, he, his feelings, of course, were very strong and there was confusion in his mind, but at the same token, he started to do something and believe something that was from God. And, you know, no matter how many times, you know, we sat together and we looked at Scripture, and Scripture certainly was opposed to what he was believing, he couldn't see it because his experience had affected his feelings and he was absolutely convinced that that was an experience from God. The other, the other one was also to do with death, where a lady, um, her sister died in a tragic accident and a while later she walked into her room and she heard knocking on the top of her cupboard. And she said to me, I wasn't frightened. In fact, I had a good feeling. And she actually said out in the air, it is, are you talking about my sister? Are you, do you know something? And the knocking sort of indicated yes. And so she had a conversation and this went on for a little while and then then everything was quiet and she was assured that her sister was fine and was in heaven. And then a little later it started again and again she did the same. And I believe that is such, such a... Um, a bad experience in the fact although she felt good by it with her feelings, it certainly is not scriptural and it's certainly not not what the Bible teaches when a person dies. And yet it was so real to her. So I believe there is a danger in us taking those experiences and feelings as our beliefs.
4: Well, so far we've looked at tradition, that tradition is not a good reason to establish a set of beliefs We've looked at experiences, some experiences are good, but just our experience and feelings are not a good reason to build our beliefs. Well, we come to another one now, culture. Brendan, what is culture and how does it shape what we are, what we do and what we believe?
2: Culture is is ideas and practices of a group, of a society. That is the strict... um, dictionary definition of what culture actually is culture has a very strong influence on us because you can't live in the world without culture culture affects you in various ways Um, however i have got a bible text that i want to or two bible texts then that i want to blend in and then i'll explain it briefly romans 12 and verse 2 says and do not be conformed to this world i believe if paul was alive today he would be saying do not be conformed to the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, another text is from Ephesians 2 where it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Walked talks about your um, journey in life according to, uh, the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What Paul is saying here to the Christians and what I believe is relevant to us as a panel and relevant to our listeners is this. We are called to a different standard. We are called to a different way of viewing culture. The way we view culture is to have our mind renewed. A good example today that I believe causes a lot of problems in society is political correctness. Uh, That is now enshrined in our culture and it is interpreted in various ways by various people. And it seems to me often that if someone offers a differing opinion, they're immediately shouted down or howled down because they have a different opinion from what political correctness says should occur. What God is calling us to, I believe, is to first of all love him above all things, Len, and love our neighbours ourselves. That is the law in practice, and if we incorporated that into culture, into the culture in which we live, I believe our society would be a much better place.
4: Yes, I agree with you. Of course, culture, as you said, fashions who and what we are, but we are talking here about having a theology uh, built on various things. we talked about tradition and experience. And what about culture? Should our culture determine our theology? Helen, could you give some or at least one example of a notable difference between the practice of two different cultural groups?
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Len. Um, I lived in Papua New Guinea for almost 10 years and notice their culture up there, and one particular um, thing that I did notice is that they have what they call a sing sing, and I'm not downing their sing sings per se, but the trouble is that is that is their culture. It is traditional, and it's it's a, a like a dance, a sing sing, a group, but there are some that are not good in the fact that they chew what they call betel nut or buai, and that puts them into a trance. And as such, when we first went up there, uh, we were trying to convince them that that was not a very good thing to do in their culture because, of course, when they're in a trance, all sorts of things were happening. That's one culture. While I was up there, my culture is from Britain. I was born in Scotland and my culture, I was brought up doing highland dancing. And I remember that I was asked to do some highland dancing for a school concert because we were on a boarding school, at a boarding school, 450 students. And I anguished over that, being the culture that I believed there was nothing wrong with what I was doing and I wasn't going into a trance or anything. And I remember in anguishing over it, it came to me that I have no right to be against someone else's culture and get up and do my own. And I thought, no, this is my culture, that's their culture, and there were two different cultures. Neither of them in itself was wrong. It was what was added to it, and uh, I ended up not dancing. But, yeah, that's two different cultures.
4: Well, I've heard of something like this. In some cultures, it's uh, forbidden for ladies to wear a wedding ring thing. So, really, it's a fairly dangerous situation to organize or to have your religious
0: beliefs based on culture. What I would like to say in terms of uh, culture, because you gave uh, an example with the wedding ring, I would really like to say this, coming from another culture and coming to Western culture, people can uh, pick up certain things, small like that, exactly what you just said, and uh, even make it uh, insignificant, or some other people can pick the same thing and make a big deal of it. Yes. Now, both are extremes. Both are extremes. The Bible speaks in terms, even of such things like that. If a person, and this is the point, if a person is convinced in his heart, and the Bible is supporting that thing. They should go along with what the Bible is, is teaching and not to uh, complain with the culture they live in. Mm. Even myself uh, coming from a different culture, for a long time I was puzzled by so many differences in between Christians and people who are in a closer group that they have differences, because they like to uplift more their understanding about that particular issue, rather than what the Bible is teaching. And that's why sometimes it's better not to support some things which you think is right, if the Bible have different views on that. And God said to His people, Israel, not to even look over the fence to the other uh, nations oh. to be influenced by those cultural things because sometimes it may look so innocent and i will give you very briefly a, a short example here i was wrong to wear a necklace or a wedding ring a lady was preparing herself to to receive god in her life and she have a necklace and in some culture people can tell you You know, in your face, if you wear that necklace, you are uh, going to be lost. But some other people say, there's nothing wrong with that. You can wear it. That's why extremes, again, that lady took her necklace off when she read herself what the Bible is, is requiring from a newborn Christian. But before she said, if somebody will ask me to take it off, before I understood this, I will not be a Christian anymore because this is a dear gift from my mother when she died when I was a young girl. Uh You see what I mean. We need to be careful of that, but we we are not here to give a free license for um, certain things. You know, we need to compare the Bible. Hello.
1: I think Nick, what you said very early there was very important. It's as we are convicted. Um, likewise, I know of a lady who went into culture, no wedding ring. She was told she had to remove it. And eventually she was nagged so much she took it off. And uh, I said, why did you take it off? She said, because I was told to. And I said, but you don't see anything wrong with it. She said, no. And I said, well, I suggest you put it back on and go and study the Bible. And when you are convicted, do it for the right reasons. So I think we've got to be careful not to push our ideas because of culture or whatever. And even if it does agree with the Bible, we need to tread softly because when people are convicted, they are truly convicted and they will follow through. Whereas if someone takes something off because they've been made to, it harbours bad feelings and that's not good either.
4: I think we've got to hurry here because we're about halfway through. Lydia, would you read for us, please, 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, and give a short answer for that.
6: Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. We are advised here that being the followers of Christ, we have to be separated from the world in principles and in interests. But we are not to be isolated them, uh, ourselves from the world. Our Savior, Jesus, he mingled constantly with men, and uh, he didn't encourage them in anything that was not in accordance with with God's will, but he uplifted them and uh, ennobled them. So we have to live in the world, but we don't have to be uh, attached or dependent on the things in the the world.
4: Yes, that was good, Brenton.
2: Just quickly, Len, um, all three of those things in First John 2, 15 to 17, if you read it carefully, it's all about the promotion of self, which fits in perfectly with the philosophy of today, where self is preeminent in everything that we do.
4: Yes. Ken, just give us a couple of examples of what loving the world means.
5: Well, there can be many things, but some of that. Obviously, people are very greedy for money. They're crazy about that. Younger women, uh, mad keen on fashion. Most so many people have their own self-interest at art only and not thinking of others.
4: Yes, all right. Uh, Helen, I think you've got something you'd like to share with us here.
1: Yeah, it's on the lines of what Lydia just she just shared. But I'd also like to say... One, there is a, one reason why the Bible surpasses any human culture is because the Bible is the truth. It is our authority. Um, it is capable of transforming and correcting the sinful elements that we find in every culture. And I agree with, with what Lydia shared before, that we are to be separated from the world.
4: All right. Now, Brenton, can you just pick out one or two things yeah. in our culture that are in opposition to biblical faith?
2: Thank you. Uh, rationalism, what I call rationalism. Rationalism, simply put, means that we should be able to reason out anything in life. Our belief, our faith, is based entirely on what we can determine for ourselves. What The danger of rationalism is that the Bible doesn't necessarily agree with rationalism because... The Bible frequently talks about people being deceived in the last days. Now, if you can work out everything for yourself by simply reason and by comparing one thing with another, what are you going to do when false miracles and false uh, signs and wonders are brought to bear in society? You will have no defence whatsoever in rationalism for being able to interpret what's happening. Now, if you don't believe in God and something comes into your culture, something comes into your thinking that you can't explain and you don't believe in God, you're going to attribute it to a higher power and therefore you will then, as it were, follow that even though you may in fact be deceived.
4: Mm. Yes, I would have um, said evolution. Yes, widespread belief in evolution is something that's in opposition to biblical faith. Yes, I was just going to say we hear a lot about the prosperity gospel. Would somebody like to comment on that?
2: Yes, the prosperity gospel is very dangerous, very dangerous indeed. If you read the Old Testament, you will find that God in his mercy, when the Israelites went into the land of Canaan, he specifically gave them instructions as to how to look after the poor. Now, in the prosperity gospel, it basically teaches, and I'm summarizing it very quickly, that it is God's will that we all be wealthy and well off. Um, there are many people, many Christians in many churches, including the prosperity churches, who aren't well off and who are really struggling. And it's interesting that Donald Trump's chief spiritual advisor, Paula White, is actually a disciple of the prosperity gospel. I believe that God has placed the poor in our society, not to make them poor, but to bring out the compassion in those of us who are able to support them. And uh, the prosperity gospel basically bypasses that. I believe, Len, it's it's very, very dangerous indeed. And uh, if you look at the way society is going, particularly in America at the moment under COVID-19, all they're interested in at the moment is getting back to normal as soon as possible so that they can make money. I would suggest that that's worth further consideration.
0: Yeah, I was just going to mention again, we're talking about the uh, uh, theology, to base our theology on the Bible. I believe it doesn't matter where you live in this world, if you are looking into the Bible, you'll have the same theology. You'll have the same understanding. You'll have the same living, if you like. And I would like to even stress it that far, that if we really want to to be part of that group of people, which will uh, see Jesus when he returns, we should look alike in what we do, in what we believe, in uh, what we uphold in terms of uh, our faith. Yes. Because it's too much differences when you look into the into the world and uh, trying to adjust with the culture. In the Bible it says that there is only one way. There is only one shepherd. There is only one flock. There is one baptism. And all those things. And earlier I mentioned, Len, that why so many people who are calling themselves Christians are doing the things which are not supposed to do from uh-huh. from a Christian and even though as you just said probably there are some I will go to that extent even you know maybe being judged of what I'm going to say now I will, I'm going to say that the majority the majority almost are are um, uh, doing those things and experiencing those things because uh, how many people are Christians in this world probably a less than a quarter of the world, they are called to be Christians. Yeah. When around you, and this Bible study actually it's it's addressing, if you like, Christendom. is not addressing other people who don't believe in God. Uh-huh. This is addressing the people who believe in God and have so many differences. Yes. And the call is to come to the Bible, to to allow the Bible to come alive in our life, to be changed and to become as one.
4: Well, tradition is not much of a platform on which to build our faith, nor is experience and feelings. What about culture, Harvey?
3: Uh, certainly the answer is the short answer is no. It is a very poor um, basis to establish our faith. And the reason is that we have so many cultures. It's not just one or two cultures, but there are literally thousands of different cultures in the world. And if we had it that it was consistent with each culture, there'd be even more confusion over what is right and wrong than there is now. The truth of the matter is the Bible is the only safe basis for any belief.
4: We've dealt with three things already. We've got two to go. Next one we want to talk about, which Brenton has um, touched the edges of, is reason and logic and philosophy. Now, who gave people the ability to reason, Helen?
1: There's one quick answer for that. Three-letter word, God. Let me just very quickly, God, who's given us that ability to think and to reason, he also gave us an invitation to come and reason together with him.
4: So, Ledger, would you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6? And if you could please answer this question. In what way does a Christian deal with worldly ideas and arguments?
6: They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them their bodies were scattered over the desert now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did so God created us with the ability to think and we observe uh, all over all over the bible that it says Jesus is is questioning in the repeat question what do you think uh, have you not read? So our thinking over the the ages uh, is darkened and it's very affected by sin. Therefore, we need to bring our, uh, even our thinking into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and uh, we have to be willing to submit our thinking to the higher authority of Scripture and the Living Word. The Bible.
4: Thank you. And you know, of course, the theory of evolution has been very prominent in our society. And some Christians put aside the word of God in favor of the theory of evolution. And they are what we call theistic evolutionists. I have a personal opinion, and I think all the panel members would agree with this. We should measure ideas. And logic and all that kind of stuff by the word of God. And we should not fall into the trap of measuring the word of God by popular ideas. The word of God is timeless. Ideas change, just as the evolution theory came in the, in the 1800s. Ken, would you read Proverbs chapter one, verse seven? Fear of the Lord
5: is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instructions. So yes. it shows us here, really, that we really need to turn to God to learn about all things and especially his word.
4: Now, some more advice is given on this in First Corinthians 3, 19 and 20. Brenton, what is this saying? Perhaps you could read the verses first.
2: I can, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness unto God or with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. That's an interesting comment. It really suggests one thing. It suggests that the wisdom of this world, as far as God is concerned, then is worth nothing, because it's based on false foundations. I could go back to what uh, Ken read. Ken read a very good verse, but just after that it mentions that wisdom should be applied to justice, equity and fairness. Now, we live in a society, I'll use but one example of, of the misuse of wisdom. Our justice system is supposed to be equal for everybody. I think most people know that justice these days depends on how much money you've got and what you, who you can afford to represent you, which misrepresents justice at its basis. So therefore, When Solomon asked for wisdom, one of the first things he asked for is the ability to determine between right and wrong, the ability to be able to judge, the ability to be able to govern God's people. And Paul is really saying here, in the society in which I live, God confounds the people who think that they're wise because their wisdom doesn't come from God. In other words, their sources from another place.
4: Oh, that was a very powerful statement.
6: In contrast to the idea that all our knowledge is based on sensory experience, another view regards human reason as the chief source of knowledge. This view, which is called rationalism, is the idea that truth is not sensory but intellectual and is derived from reason. In other words... Certain truths exist, and our reason alone can directly grasp them. This makes human reason the test and norm for truth. Reason became the new authority before which everything else had to bow, including the authority of the Church, and more dramatically, even the authority of the Bible as God's Word. Everything that was not self-evident to human reason was discarded and its legitimacy questioned. This attitude affected large parts of Scripture. All miracles and supernatural acts of God, such as the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the virgin birth or the six-day creation, to name but a few, were no longer considered true and trustworthy.
4: Well, we know that faith, is of prime importance in the lives of Christians. Helen, what do you think of this? Should one's faith be unreasonable, that is, without evidence?
1: I'd like to say it is written in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think that's very clear, that faith isn't built on what we can see, and, and that follows in line with what Lydia was just just saying that reason and rationalism is not a good platform to base our own beliefs because as I think she mentioned that reason became the authority for the church and, you know, everything was not, if it wasn't self-evident, then human reason was discarded. And I think that really goes against what faith is. You know, we, we may not have the evidence in front of us but, however, We do have past experiences that God has shown us. And, and let me just enlarge on that a little bit, that the beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. You know, he says the end, what, in what he, who he says he is. And the end point is believing in his promises, you know, and he will do what he says. And when we believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet, we demonstrate true faith. By believing in God and Him,
0: who He is, and His promises. Yes. You then also ask that if it's um, how to say it's faith unreasonable. Unreasonable. You know we need to reason. We need to have uh, some questions asked and answered. Do you see God? I was asked by some people. If I will see God, I will believe in Him and I will follow Him. Now I. I could not see God, and I could not assure him that, yes, I see God, but I definitely assured him that I can feel his presence in my life, which that was for me a reason, a good reason to believe in God, which means faith, as Helen was pointing out, is based on the things which you cannot see, but you still believe that those things existed because it has an impact on your life. You cannot support something which doesn't have an impact on your life. Mm. But if it has an impact, you can support uh, that thing. Have you heard about uh, the Bible version of uh, Thomas Jefferson?
4: Yeah.
0: You know, the, the President of the United States. Yeah. Because of reason, he cut off a lot of passages in the Bible, because it's, it's unreasonable, as Ligia mentioned earlier, to believe that there is such a resurrection from death. There is, uh, uh, you know, There are many other things which Ligia already mentioned, And he started to cut off big portions from the Bible, considering that they are not reasonable. Should we then base our beliefs on what we reason?
1: It's like creation. I can't prove it, but I can show you evidence of a master designer through, through nature.
4: All right, well, we've got one to go, and it's the most important one. We've probably got the least time, the Bible. Is that a good uh, basis for building faith harvey? would you read john five thirty nine and forty
3: you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life now here we have a situation where people were studying the scriptures but they weren't actually finding out really what the scriptures were all about. And Jesus made it very clear to the disciples. He said, it's all about his story. It's all about the story of salvation, the story of Jesus, basically. And if they are not looked at in that way, then people can misinterpret the Bible. They interpret it in their own ways. But really, the Bible needs to interpret itself if you... Study the Bible carefully. You can learn truth, the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And so if you want to know what's right or wrong, find out about Jesus and he will show you the things that are true. And that is the Bible will be the basis of that finding out.
2: Uh, I was just going to say that uh, the text that Harvey read in uh, John 5, 39 and 40 is, um, it's interesting that there was a very famous uh, rabbi by the name of Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, in the first century AD. He said that anybody who had read and acquired the Torah, in other words, the law, had acquired eternal life. Now, Jesus is saying the exact opposite here. He's saying that you study the scriptures because by knowing the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, think you have eternal life. But instead, you're missing the point completely. The scriptures that you have point to me, and yet you're rejecting me.
0: And also in uh, some parts of the Bible, it says that do these things and don't let the other things undone. Uh, what that means sometimes you can base your... your uh, uh, theology and doctrines of uh, certain parts of the Bible, and leave uh, uh, aside some other important parts of the Bible. Just very quickly, I may say this before. I was doing a Bible study like this with um, a number of people from different congregations some years ago, maybe six or seven congregations, and they were Orthodox, Catholics, Baptists, and all. And they asked the question: Which is the true church then? And, you know, I thought I was inspired at that time to, to answer that the Church of Jesus Christ is the true Church, but that Church should have all those things in one. And mm-hmm. I, the, the Orthodox, for example, the word Orthodox means Orthodox, a right teaching. Every uh, ch- child of God should have the right teaching. Catholics is universal, the word Catholic. We should be universal, we should have the same beliefs. Uh-huh. And Baptists and, and Pentecostal have strong, strong points in their beliefs, but should not base the doctrine only on those strong points. You should have the whole Bible. And in the end, I said, the true church should have all these things, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, the love of God, the reformation, because we need to do that, and uh-huh. so on and so forth. Yes, well, the
4: pivotal point, of course, of Scripture is Jesus. Hmm. It's all very well to read the scriptures, but if there's no heart change, well, it's a waste of time. Hmm. Now, it has been said that Jesus was either a great teacher, a madman, or who he claimed to be. Is there any value in the first two of these alternatives, Helen?
1: Some people would say no. I would disagree because as a great teacher, if you if you study his teaching and you get to know what he says in scripture, that is one way of getting to know him. That's a value. If you think of Christ as a madman, as my... My fiance did one to me. Um, that actually drew him to scripture because he went to see whether or not it was true whether Jesus was a madman. But overall, the value is in who he claimed to be because only Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Son of God, could have died for us on that cross. Not a madman, not just a great teacher, but the Son of God.
4: Yes. Now, there is a fairly large religious group that bases its belief on partly the Bible, and largely revelations of the Spirit. Very quickly, Ken, what do you think of the opposition in messages from what the Bible says and what the so-called Spirit says?
5: Well, I think, Len, it really boils back to what we've been trying, the message we've been trying to get across today, and that is I cannot trust anything except the Word of God. There are many... Uh, people out there, organizations who supposedly get revelations supposedly from God or Jesus or angels. But at the end of the day, we have to go back and look at the word of God and see what that says. And in Isaiah 8.20, it says, reading from the New King James Version, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word,
4: it is because there is no light in them. I've come across some people talking about God's law and they uh, read the Bible, yes, we've got to keep the law, and then they said the Spirit revealed to them that they don't. Well, to me, that's crazy, because how was the Bible given, Legia? You don't have to read the text, but how was the Bible given?
6: The Bible was given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his chosen prophets.
4: Right, so the Spirit gave the prophets and Bible writers the message what they had to write down. And then somebody comes along later on and says, the spirit says, I don't need to believe and do anything about this. Well, it's the spirit speaking against the spirit. So to me, that's a good reason why we need to test the spirits. They have to be in accordance with the Bible. Our beliefs have to be in accordance with the Bible. Now we've got to finish up here. And I'd like to say this, the safest Soundest base for any Christian belief must be the word of God logic philosophy human reason might sound good but in them there is no hope no future no forgiveness tradition is unsafe because it has its origins in thoughts and practices of man feelings are unreliable and subject to many external influences. Culture does affect the way any cultural group perceives truth, but that truth may be subjective. Absolute truth is in the Bible. Therefore, it must be the primary source for anyone's beliefs. We've got to finish here. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. Brenton, would you please pray for us to finish today?
2: Dear Father in heaven, we just want to say thank you for your word we echo the words of David who said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, we live in a time where the Bible sometimes is used selectively to prove various points. We believe that uh, we should study the word of God and allow scripture to interpret itself. Jesus said if we do that, we will see him and him alone in in the word of God. Bless our panel and, Lord, be with our listeners. Open our minds to the truths of scripture where jesus said i am the way the truth and the life lord may we leave here today knowing that you are the way the truth and the life and may that transform our lives and our relationships with others we ask in jesus name amen amen
0: thank you very much everyone for your participation to this bible study Um, may god bless you all and uh, dear listener we are broadcasting this Bible study during a time of crisis, during this pandemic called the coronavirus. Many people are turning to God, asking questions, praying before God during this time. I hope that you will make a habit of this, not doing only in time of crisis, but make a part of your life to experience God in your life forever. In Jesus' name, may God bless you all.